They hug and hold hands and stuff like that. Maybe because usually they tell me. They're kissing. They will share stuff. If they're together, they play together. Because they really like each other and they really want to be next to each other sometimes. Because they are together a lot. When they hang out a lot, when they think of each other a lot and always are hanging out. Happy New Year, Orchard Church. Great to see you guys today. Hey, take out your Bibles this morning. Turn to Genesis chapter 29, verse 16. Genesis 29, verse 16. We'll start there in just a moment. I want to say a big thank you this morning to all of you who prayed for people, invited people, served for our five Christmas Eve services because you guys had a part in helping 332 people find Jesus this Christmas. Can we just praise God for that? That is incredible. Thank you guys so much for being a part of that. We also took a special Christmas offering, not for our church, but for our three feeding centers. Uh, we have three feeding centers. We, we feed over 500 kids every day um, in the Philippines, Haiti, and Mexico. We raised over $8,000 uh, for those feeding centers. So can we praise God for that as well? That's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Hey, uh, we are loving our new building, aren't we? Do we love having a home of our own? Isn't this great? Uh, th that should be exciting to you guys, okay? All right. Um, we're about seven weeks into this new facility, and we had hoped by now that everything would be perfect and everything works just right. But as we're learning, um, this is a big facility, a lot of new things. We have over 400 volunteers serving each week to make Sundays happen. And so we just want to ask you guys to continue to be patient with us. Uh, give us a little bit of grace. We're still trying some things. Some things we try, they don't work. We try something different. It's probably going to take us a couple of months to get everything dialed in just right uh, with our parking lot and entering and exiting. And and our HVAC system, our kids check in, our sound, our lights, our cameras. And remember, volunteers are running all this stuff and learning it for the first time. So thank you for your patience. We, we hope everything dialed in really great in a couple of weeks. But didn't the worship team do an amazing job today? Can we just give it up for them? Awesome. Awesome, but thank you for your patience. Well, I am super excited because today we are kicking off a brand new four-week series called This Is Us. And what we're doing is we're looking at four Old Testament couples and we're looking at their marriages and relationships and learning some valuable lessons from them. We're learning uh, some things from their successes. We're gonna also learn some things from their mistakes that can help our marriages. Now, if you're here today and you say, well, I'm single, I'm not yet married, or I'm single again, maybe hope to be married, and this is a marriage series, so I'm gonna check out this isn't for me. No, it is for everyone. Uh, whether you're single, single again, uh, newly married, oldly married, whatever. This is, there's something for everyone, especially the message today. This is going to speak to all of us. It is important to every one of us, no matter where we are in our life. But as we're talking about this series, This Is Us, by way of participation, first of all, let me talk to the ladies. Can I hear the ladies in the house? We got any ladies in the house? Can I hear from the ladies? Awesome ladies. Ladies, let me ask you this question. By a show of hands, ladies, how many of you, when you were a little girl, you dreamed of meeting, you know, Mr. Wright one day, having the 
perfect wedding, uh, the perfect marriage, the perfect kids, the perfect house. You started dreaming about that when you were a little girl. Raise your hand. You had that dream, okay? Put your hands down. Let me hear from the guys. Let me hear from the men in the house. Got any men in the house? All right, men, let me ask you this question by a show of hands from all of the men. How many of you dreamed of meeting the girl of your dreams someday, getting married, being intimate twice a day, every day, and three times on Sunday? Can I hear from you men? All right. Now let me ask you this question. How many of you ladies and men are still dreaming about those things today? Right? Still a dream. <laughs> hey, is it still okay to have fun in church? Amen. All right, we like to have fun. We keep it real. But, but here's the reality. As we talk about this series, This Is Us, and we look at these, these marriages, marriage is tough. Uh, marriage can be difficult. Marriage can be confusing because we go into marriage with all of these expectations. You know, I, I'm going to find the one. Mr. Wright, Mrs. Wright, and I'm going to have the average 2.5 kids, a white picket fence, and a dog. Not a cat, a dog. And, and we're going to live, help me out, happily ever after, happily ever after, because we have all these amazing expectations of marriage. But why is it today that so many marriages and so many people, whether you're married or not, are not happy? So many people today, if you're honest, a lot of people are unsatisfied, they're unfulfilled in their life, they're disappointed, and they're discouraged. Well, we're going to look at a story today in Genesis chapter 29, this first couple, and it's actually not just a couple, there's three of them involved. It's the story of Jacob and his two wives. Now, that ought to cause you to lean in right there. You know there's going to be some weird twists and turns in this story. I mean, this kind of sounds like an episode of Sister Wives. you got a guy and two wives. It's Jacob and Leah and Rachel. Now, let me give you a little background about this story before we dive into Genesis chapter 29, verse 16. Jacob one day is traveling along, and he comes to this well, and he's wanting to get, to get some water. Finds out that this well belongs to his uncle, a man named Laban. He has two daughters. One's name is Rachel, one's name is Leah. Well, Rachel shows up at the well the same time as Jacob is there, and Jacob sees Rachel, and she is drop dead gorgeous, and he's like, I gotta have that girl. I wanna marry this girl. If you're doing the math, this is his uncle, this is Rachel is the daughter, so that means this is Jacob's cousin. Rachel is his cousin. So obviously this story is taking place in Arkansas or Kentucky, <laughs> something like that. I don't know. It's kind of a weird story. But here's the deal. When Jacob meets Rachel for the first time, he thinks he has found the one. He has found the girl of his dreams that is going to bring fulfillment and satisfaction to his life. He thought, if I can just marry Rachel, if I can just get married, it will fill the emptiness that I have inside. And, and this happens all the time today. Uh, maybe you remember in high school or in, in college, the guy that always had to have a girlfriend or he felt inadequate, or the girl who always had to have a boyfriend or she felt incomplete and empty. Or, or maybe it's a single person today and their, their clock is ticking and all they talk about and all they think about is, is getting a spouse and getting married and they buy the year-long subscription to Match.com. I mean, it just it's, it consumes everything about their life and their thoughts. Or unfortunately, sometimes it's the middle-aged guy that's feeling a little vulnerable and doesn't feel as desirable and as powerful as he once did, and so he wants to get rid of his wife of many years that he's loved to go for a younger woman, trying to find someone to meet his needs. And the problem is this. People think, just like Jacob, if I just had that marriage or if I just had that person, it would fill the emptiness that I have in my life. 
And, and that's true for a lot of people today. And so we're going to jump in here to Genesis chapter 29, and we're going to learn some things about marriage and about all of our lives if we're looking for fulfillment and satisfaction. We're going to kind of look verse by verse at this story in, in Genesis chapter 29. And this is likely how Jacob felt when we meet him at the well. He's, he's trying to fill an emptiness and satisfaction in his life, and he thinks marriage and this girl named Rachel is going to do it. So let's jump in. Genesis 29, verse 16. We'll also put it on the screen for you. It says, now Laban had two daughters. The older daughter was named what? Leah. Everybody say Leah. Leah. And the younger one was Rachel. Everybody say Rachel. Rachel. Now watch. The Bible begins to describe what these two girls, these two sisters looked like. First, it describes Leah. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes. Now, most biblical scholars believe that when the Bible says there was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, that was a very kind and polite way of saying she was kind of ugly, okay? She wasn't very attractive. But then it says this about Rachel, but Rachel was a real hottie with a body. That's in the original Hebrew if you check it out. No, look, look what it says. But Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. So you got Rachel, who's drop-dead gorgeous. That's the one Jacob wants. And then Leah, that's not so much so. And I really want you guys to understand the picture of this. And so I tried to reconstruct the Hebrew language to to get a a description and a representation today of what these two women would have looked like so you understand this. And and I recently heard that there was an archaeological dig in the Holy Lands, and they dug up these two pictures, one of Leah and one of Rachel. So here's the picture of Leah that they, they found, if we put that on the screen. This is, this is Leah, a representation of Leah, okay? And, and then this is the depiction of the more beautiful Rachel. For those of you that are new to Orchard Church, that is my bride, Shelly. You say, Pastor Doug, are you trying to earn brownie points during this marriage series? You better believe it. I'm working on my marriage, too, during this. And so we got these two, two daughters. And, and let me just say this real quick, just as kind of a side note. It's important that we don't undervalue or overvalue physical attraction when it comes to our spouse or, or finding a spouse. You know, I don't think we should undervalue physical attraction. I think we should be physically attracted to the person that we want to marry. But I also don't think we should overvalue it uh, like our society does, that all we focus on and all we think about is just the outside instead of the inside that the Bible talks about. And I bring that up because it appears, as, as we watch this story play out, it appears very, very clearly that Jacob is overvaluing physical attraction to Rachel. He sees her, he wants her, he has to have her to fulfill his life and meet his needs. Now, some of you may be reading ahead in verse 18. You say, but wait a minute, Pastor Doug. Verse 18 says, since Jacob was in love with Rachel. Well, I think Jacob was throwing this in love around like a lot of people do today. I did do some study on this, and the word here, you have this in your notes, and I hope you'll take some notes. This word love here is the Hebrew word ahab, ahab, and it means to have affection for sexually. That's what it means. So was this really love that he felt toward Rachel, or was it lust that he felt toward Rachel? I think we're going to find out as this plays out what it was. But Jacob was feeling empty and unsatisfied. He's like, if I can just have Rachel, that's, that's going to meet the needs of my life. My life will really have meaning, and it will, it will matter. And he thinks he's found the answer. He thinks he's found the answer to fulfillment and satisfaction in life in this beautiful girl named Rachel. 
And here's the problem. For too many people today, the premise that marriage is the answer to meeting all of my needs is the very reason why so many people today are not living happily ever after. Because they're missing God's best design for their life. And we're going to talk about that with the remainder of our time. And if you're taking some notes, and I hope you will, I want us to look from this story, what we can learn. Three problems when we believe that marriage is the answer. When we believe that marriage is the answer to meeting the deepest needs of our life, three problems. The first problem is this, and we see it in the story. We compromise more than we should. When we believe that marriage is the answer, we compromise more than we should. We give up things that are important to us or important to God to try to find the one that we think is going to meet our needs and satisfy us. Watch this in verse 18. It says, since Jacob was in love with Rachel, loosely in love, he told her father, I'll work for you for how many years, church? Seven years. If you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife, I'll work for you seven years. Agreed, Laban replied. And he jumps right on this. I'd rather give her to you than to anyone else. Stay and work with me. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. But a few days. Now, this is either offensive to you or romantic to you, depending on how you look at it. That he was willing to work seven years to earn Rachel as his wife. Now, I want you to understand, in this culture, there was what was called a dowry. And it was customary for a young man to work a certain period of time to have the daughter of, of her father. But the time was normally six months to a year. How long was he willing to work? Seven years. Six times the normal amount. This is not romantic. This is insane. This is crazy. He's willing to work six times the normal. You're like, man, she must have been a real hottie. No, he just wants his needs met. He wants what he wants. He's like, I'll do anything to have her. I want her. He was willing to do anything. He was willing to compromise in order to have his needs met to be able to marry Rachel. And if we're honest, we can relate to this today. Because today we see people, we've all done it. I've done it. We've compromised sometimes in our life what we know God wants us to do or not do in order for us to get what we want. If you're with me, say yes. We've all done it. You have this Christian girl, and she's saving her body for marriage. She wants to be pure when she walks down that aisle, but she's willing to compromise and trade her body to earn his heart. I worked in student ministry for over 10 years before I became a pastor, and I used to tell students, teenagers, this all the time, that girls play at sex to get love, and guys play at love to get sex. We compromise. You know, you got the girl that's dating the jerk, and everybody knows he's a jerk. All her friends know he's a jerk. The family knows he's a jerk, but she doesn't want to be single the rest of her life, and so she compromises. She says, well, I'll change him. Anybody want to give a testimony about that? How's that working for you? Or, or you got the guy who's a, he's a Christ follower. He's given his life to Christ. He knows that the Bible says that Christians should pursue Christians to date and marry Christians. Uh, that's what the Bible teaches. And, and, but he meets this drop-dead gorgeous girl. It's like his Rachel. And she's, she's not a believer, but she's a nice girl. And he's like, it'll be okay. And so he does what I like to call the flirt and convert. <laughs> and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. Or missionary dating. You say, well, where do you get that from, you know, Pastor Doug? Maybe you're new to church, new to the Bible. You know, that's, that seems kind of archaic. You know, did you just make that up, that Christians should marry Christians? No, this is what the Bible says. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, do not be yoked together with what? 
unbelievers, unbelievers. Now, now, if you're here this morning and maybe you are a believer, but you married an unbeliever, or maybe you became a believer and your spouse is not a believer, you say, well, what do I do now? I'm a believer, my spouse is not. You know, what am I supposed to do? Well, Paul addressed that in one of his letters. You stay married and you pray for them that they would find Christ. Amen? But when you're single and you've got a blank slate, you should be pursuing believers. Don't compromise like Jacob did. Jacob compromised to get what he wanted to have his needs fulfilled and met, willing to work seven years. And when we believe marriage is the answer, we compromise more than we should. Here's the second problem. When we believe that marriage is the answer to meeting all of our deepest needs, not only do we compromise more than we should, we become very demanding. We become very demanding. That's exactly what happens in this story in verse 21. After he worked seven years, Jacob worked seven years to earn the hand of Rachel. Verse 21 says, finally the time came for him to marry her. I have fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so I can marry her, so I can enter a covenant relationship with her, so I can love, honor, keep, and cherish her in sickness and health till death do we part. Is that what he said? Did you check this out? He says, I have fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. Now are you understanding what was on his mind? What this was really about? Jacob's like, I did my part. Now, bring her over, and I want her to do her part. You see how shallow this is? Do you see how demeaning this is? This is not polite. This is not honoring. This is not tender. This is not loving. It's demanding. And why is it demanding? Because Jacob only wanted his needs met. He thought marriage was his answer to having all of his needs met and his fulfillment. And so now he's demanding that his needs be met. And this happens today, unfortunately, in a lot of marriages. Marriages start being about two people that are very demanding of the other person. Meet my needs, meet my needs, meet my needs. Now, we don't always say it that way, but if we portray it that way. If we're really keeping it real, and that's one of our values here at Orchard Church, here's what happens in a lot of marriages, and I'm saying this not to condemn anyone or shame anyone. I've fallen into this at times in my life as well. We, we have to be careful. I want to help you. For a lot of marriages today, marriages end up becoming a contract rather than a covenant. God intends for marriages to be a covenant with our spouse, an agreement, a promise that I want to meet your needs, not that I want you to meet my needs. But for so many marriages today, they've turned into a contract instead of a covenant. A contract says, I deliver this, so you deliver this. And if you stop delivering your part, or I stop delivering my part, we break the contract. A covenant seeks to meet the needs of the other person. What is your marriage like? As you say, this is us, what, what, what is your marriage like? Is it, is it like a covenant where you seek to meet the needs of your spouse? Or is it like a contract where you want your needs met, and when they're not, you're going to break the contract? You see, when we view marriage as a contract instead of a covenant church, our expectations of our spouse rise and our dissatisfaction ensues because our spouse can never live up to all of our expectations. And I know when I'm hitting home because it gets real quiet in here. So I'm going to let you think about that for a minute. We can never, your spouse can never ultimately meet all of your expectations because they're human. They're not divine. They make mistakes. They fail. They let you down just like you do your spouse. 
But we have these contracts. And what do these contracts look like in marriage? Well, you know, I'll be intimate with you tonight if you'll do this for me today. Tonight's the night if you do this. You know, I'll let you buy this if you let me buy that. I'll do this chore if you'll do that chore. And some of you right now, I know what you're thinking. This is us. (laughs) Right? This is us. And I know at times in my life I would say, Shelly, this is us. I'm, I'm with you guys. And I want to talk to ladies for a moment, and then I want to talk to the men. So men, hold your elbows because yours is coming. We're equal opportunity offenders here at Orchard Church, all right? So let me just talk to the ladies, and let, let me try to help some of the ladies that, 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 that are our wives for a moment. You know, you come into marriage, and you have all these expectations of all these things you want us to do and you want us to fulfill. And, and that's understandable to some degree, but here's the problem. You expect us to know what you want, even though you haven't communicated what you want. You're like, well, I shouldn't have to tell him. Ladies, let me help you out. Tell him. You need to tell us, right, men? Spell it out. Use words. Give us a to-do list. Help us out. We don't know. You think we're just playing dumb. Sometimes we are, but most of the time we don't know, right? Let me say this to the men, okay? Men, we have these expectations of our wife, the things we want her to do, the things we want her to take care of. And you know, in our society today, in our community today, it's tough. It's difficult, not impossible, but difficult to live in in our community uh, on one income. So we have a lot of dual income. The the husband works outside the home. The wife works outside the home. Men, listen, don't come home after you've worked all day and she's worked all day and be like, why is this house a mess? You know, why are the kids not taken care of? You know, why are you not doing these certain things? Why is there not food on the table? She will kill you and tell God you died. (laughs) Just trying to help you out, guys. You need to lower the expectations a little bit. And let me say this. Uh, Let me see our stay-at-home moms. How many of our stay-at-home moms? Raise your hand. Let's give it up for stay-at-home moms. They are, man, you are my heroes. I have seen the job of the stay-at-home mom, and I don't want it. And don't come home, guys, with a stay-at-home mom and be like, what did you do all day? She will kill you right there. You will die in the name of Jesus. We, we, these, we got these contracts. We got these expectations. You know, and if, if we think that marriage is the answer to meeting all of our needs, we become very demanding of the other person. For a lot of marriages, they're like a, they're like a chess game. Well, you make a move, and then I'll analyze it, and then I'll make a move. You move first, and then I'll move. You know, we've heard it said marriage is 50-50. No, it's not. Help me out, church. It's 100-100. If it's going to work, it's a hundred, a hundred. But it's easy, even good marriages, even Christian marriages, sometimes it's easy to fall into the contract game and become demanding. I did my part, now you do your part. And when we, when you, when we believe our spouse should meet all our needs, here's what happens. We compromise more than we should. We become very demanding. And here's the third thing we're going to look at. We will always end up dissatisfied. If we believe that marriage is the ultimate answer to meeting all of our needs, we will always end up dissatisfied. Why is that? Here's the problem. Too many people enter marriage with so many expectations that there's no way that any one person can ever live up to all those expectations. And God didn't intend for them to. And when we have all these expectations of our spouse to meet all of our needs, we're guaranteeing failure. 
We're guaranteeing failure. This is what happened in Jacob's story. Watch this. He's now expecting, he's worked for seven years, and now he says, give me my wife. And he's got these high expectations he's, that, uh, to have Rachel as his wife. The time has finally come. Verse 22. So Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. But that night, when it was dark, Laban took... Everybody say, uh-oh. That is not what he was expecting. It says... But that night when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob and he slept with her. Laban had given Leah a servant, Zilpah, to be her maid. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, it wasn't Rachel. Let's say it, church. It was Leah. Want to get away? This is not what he was expecting. This would not do. This would not fulfill. This would not satisfy. He was dissatisfied. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. S some of you are thinking, come on. He would have known that it was Leah instead of Rachel. Okay, let me, let me help you out with some context here. Remember, there had been a wedding feast. It was known in that culture that they would have several days of eating and drinking. And they weren't just drinking pop. They were drinking wine, leading up to the consummation of the marriage. Jacob has probably had one too many. It's dark. It's at night. And he sleeps with Leah, thinking it's Rachel, and he is fooled. This is the first example of beer goggles in the Bible, right here. Those of you who don't know what beer goggles are, go ask them and got questions afterward. Maybe they'll tell you, all right? I mean, you know what they say. There's no ugly people at quitting time. And he's had probably one too many. Girl comes in. It's dark. He ends up sleeping with Leah. He wakes up. And he's not happy. He's not satisfied. What have you done to me? Jacob raged at Laban. I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? And I love verse 26. It's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, Laban replied. Now you tell me. That would have been nice to know seven years ago. And what is Jacob saying here? He's ticked. He's mad. This isn't fair. This isn't right. I've been deceived. I've been duped. I'm not happy. I'm not satisfied. He's dissatisfied because he thought marriage was the answer to meeting all of his needs. Here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line that I want us to think about. When you think that marriage is the answer to meeting all the deepest needs in your life, you're gonna think you've gone to bed with Rachel and wake up with Leah. I'm gonna let you think about that. When you think marriage is the answer to meeting all the deepest needs of your life. Because, and here's why. Because no one person can meet all your deepest needs. That's reserved for God. That's reserved for God. Now, now it appears, what's sad in this story, beyond you know, what's happening with Jacob and Rachel, is that Leah's making the same mistake. She's, I mean, she goes along with this. And she's like, well, maybe if I sleep with him, he'll love me. You know, if he gets to know me. And she's looking to have her needs met as well, because, I mean, she's Leah. And she's like, how am I ever going to get a husband? Here's my chance. And maybe he'll meet my needs. And look, how do we know this? Look at verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was what? Unloved. He, he wasn't meeting her needs. He enabled her to have children, but Rachel could not conceive. So she's like, hey, I got, I got a leg up on, on 
Rachel because I can give him children. So surely he'll love me and he'll meet my needs if I do this. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben for she said, the Lord has noticed my misery. She's not happy. And now maybe my husband will love me. Trying to get him to meet her needs. She soon became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She named him Simeon. For she said, the Lord heard that I was, what? Unloved. And has given me another son. Now now maybe he'll love me. Then she became pregnant a third time and gave birth to another son. And he was named Levi. For she said, surely this time my husband will feel affection for me since I have given him three sons. She's desperately seeking to have her needs met. And what we have going on in this story is everyone is trying to make somebody else love them. And we can't do that. And you got people trying to get their needs met by another human being, another person. One of my spiritual mentors growing up, he used to always say that this when talking about marriage. And I've never forgot it. I actually had him come in and speak a couple times for marriage retreats that I used to do. And he said this, most marriages begin as two ticks and no dog. Just think about that. What happens when you have two ticks and no dog? You suck the life out of each other, trying to get your needs met. And you end up, you both end up unhappy, unfulfilled, dissatisfied. Now, I want us to stop for a moment right here, and let's think about this story and what's going on. What's missing in this story? I mean, what's the obvious that's missing? There's no evidence of prayers. Nobody's prayed about these decisions. Nobody's prayed about getting married. Nobody's seeking God's counsel, God's word, God's wisdom. Nobody is taking a step of faith led by what God's told them to do. We don't see any evidence of any spiritual connection between Jacob and Rachel or Leah and Jacob. Here's what's going on. They're all searching for the one. But the problem, like with so many of us, is they're searching for the wrong one. They're all searching for the one, but they're searching for the wrong one. You know, we are, most of us are taught all of our life by society to really be happy, to be really be fulfilled in life. You've got to someday find the one. You gotta find the one. You gotta find Mr. Right. You gotta find Mrs. Right, and, and they will make you happy, and you'll be fulfilled. You know, we're attracted to them. We, we like being with them. We have some of the same goals, and we say, I, I think I found the one. We tell our friends, we tell our family, I think we found the one. And as believers in Jesus Christ, for those of you that are followers of of Jesus and, and you know God's word, what we should say is I've met someone, I'm attracted to them, we have a spiritual connection, we're both believers, we have the same goals, we believe that we can glorify God better together than apart. I think that I've just found my two. And here's why. Here's the point of this whole message. You have it in your notes. It's this. To really find fulfillment in life, you have to find the one. What's this next word? Everybody help me out. God is your one and your spouse is your two. That's the secret. That's the key. That's what Jacob was missing. That's what Leah was missing. And that's what a lot of us miss. Let me say it again. To really find fulfillment in life, you do have to find the one. God is your one, and your spouse is your two. That was an appropriate moment for some kind of positive reaction from you guys. I'm just just waiting. Let, Let that sink in, all right? That is so powerful. That is so life changing. Whether you're single, married, married again, to really find fulfillment and satisfaction in life, you've got to find the one. God is supposed to be our one. 
And then our spouses are too. And then kids are on down. They're three. We sometimes try to make them one or make them two. I, I shared with you guys, and I appreciate your patience because I was excited about this. I'll, I'll try to lay off it a little bit maybe after this series. But uh, Shelly and I told you going up to Christmas that we would be the day after Christmas, December 26th, we would be celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary. And I'm happy to tell you guys we made it and we celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. Amen. Praise God. And, and if I could just brag on, on my wife, Shelly, for a moment, get some more brownie points. But no, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I feel like the luckiest man in the world. Uh, my wife, Shelly, is an incredible godly woman. I mean, I feel like I married the Proverbs 31 virtuous woman. And those of you that know her, I think, would agree. She's not perfect, but, but she's pretty close. And I mean, she is an incredibly godly mother. She's an incredibly godly wife. She's an incredibly godly pastor's wife for us here at Orchard Church. But as amazing as Shelly is, I'll tell you this, she's a horrible God. And I am a horrible God to her because I'm not supposed to be. And she's not supposed to be God to me. There is a place in our life that our creator put that is only reserved for one person, and that's God himself. This is, let me, this is God's plan for marriage. You know, if you're here today and maybe you're not a follower of Christ, maybe church is new to you and you came here to kind of check out this series or you invite, somebody invited you, we're so thrilled that you're here. This should make sense to all of us. If we want to know how marriage is supposed to accurately work, wouldn't it make sense that we go back to the creator and originator of marriage? And that is not society and it's not the world, it's God. It started in the Garden of Eden with two people called Adam and Eve. We'll talk about them next week. So we should go back to that blueprint. And, and here's God's plan for marriage. Jesus said this in Matthew 19, verse 5 through 6. This is God's design. This, this is what Jesus said. This explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Two become one. Now, how do they become one? Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what, help me out, church, God has joined together. See, God has to be number one in our individual life. God has to be number one in our, our marriage. Marriage is not about two people. Marriage is about three people. The husband, the wife, and God himself. Marriage is a beautiful picture of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when we take God out of the picture, and God's not number one, problems are going to take place. Let me give you, some of you may have seen this before. This is the marriage triangle. This is what Jesus was saying in Matthew 19. This is what marriage is supposed to look like. That the husband's number one is God and the wife's number one is God, but God brings them together as one. And as the husband grows in his relationship with God, as the wife grows in her relationship with God, they grow closer together. But when we try to circumvent this and take God out of the picture, there's always going to be a huge gap. If you're with me, say, I'm with you. God's got to be one. To be fulfilled and to be satisfied, you've got to find the one. You've got to meet the one. And God is our one. And the Bible says this over and over and over and over. Let me give you a couple examples. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus said it this way. And you must love your spouse and your kids and your family more than anybody else. That's how we would want to read it, right? Is that what it says? No. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. What's he saying? God's got to be number one. Another way that Jesus said it in Matthew 6, 33, seek the kingdom of God, what? 
above all else. God's got to be number one. But here's, here's the beautiful thing that happens. When God is a husband's one and God is a wife's one and then live righteously, right with God, he will give you what? Everything you need. Everything you've been looking to fulfill you and satisfy you is found in your relationship with God when you put God, number one, above all else. This is God's design. So to have the kind of marriage that God wants you to have, you have to find the one. And God is the one. As we wrap this up this morning, this is a complex story. We don't have time to go into all of it, but Jacob works another seven years for Rachel. Now he's got two wives, and as you can only imagine, it becomes a pretty big mess. Leah had three sons, hoping to earn Jacob's love, trying to get her needs met. But now she's going to have a fourth son. And I want you to watch what happens in verse 35 when she has this fourth son because something changes. Something amazing is different, and I don't want you to miss this. After having three sons and trying to get her needs met and trying to get Jacob to love her, verse 35, once again, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to another son. And she named him what, church? Judah. That's a very significant name. I'll tell you in a moment why. For she said, now I will what? Praise the Lord. And then she stopped having children. What happened? She stopped focusing on trying to get Jacob to meet her needs and she focused on God, her one, to meet her needs. She said, now I'm focusing on God. I'm focusing on the Lord. I'm focusing on what he has done in my life. And I don't want you to miss this. And she named him Judah. And centuries later, don't miss this, through the genealogical line of Judah, God did the most incredible miracle in the history of mankind because it was through the line of the fourth baby, Judah, that the Messiah, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was brought to this earth. What an amazing ending to this story. And what does that teach us today? Here's what it reminds us. This is good news no matter where you are, single, married, married again, single again, wherever you're at. It reminds us that when God is our one, even when things don't start out right, they can end right. And I believe that God still does miracles. And God may want to do a miracle in some of your lives today. God may want to do a miracle in some of your marriages today. Married couples, if your marriage didn't start off right, if it's not right today, I believe this with all my heart, if there are two people seeking one, anything can happen. Jesus changes everything. Anything is possible, and miracles still occur today when God is our one. Heavenly Father, no matter what our marital status is today, we pray that we would make you number one in our life. Above all else, that we would seek you first and your kingdom, and being right with you, and then know that everything else will fall into place according to your will and your plan. As we continue in the attitude of prayer, with heads bowed and eyes closed right now, if you're a married couple here today, and you're, you're here with your spouse, and you, you say, where do I start if my marriage is in trouble? If you're like, man, this, this is us. We're really struggling. We're, we're hanging on by a thread. We're not happy, we're not satisfied, we're not fulfilled. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. If you're here with your spouse right now, I'm gonna ask you right now in the quietness of this room to grab the hand of your spouse and pray this simple prayer. God, teach us to make you number one. God, teach us to make you number one. If you're here and you're married and your spouse is not here, then you just pray to God and say, God, teach me to make you number one. And then you pray for your spouse. If you're here today and you're single, you're not yet married or maybe you're single again, here's the prayer I'm going to ask you to pray right now, right where you sit. God, lead, help me to make you number one.
and then you lead me to my two. I'm going to wait for you. I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. I'm not going to compromise to get what I want. As a single person, God, help me to make you number one. And then you someday lead me to my two. As you continue to pray with heads bowed and eyes closed, as many are praying right now, I want to talk to one other group of people. Maybe you're here today and, you know, you've been searching your whole life for something to bring you fulfillment and satisfaction, something to meet your needs, something, someone. And if you're honest, the truth is you're empty. You're empty. And the reason is because there's only one person that can fill that void in your life that was created by your creator, and that's God. That's God. And maybe you've been looking for fulfillment through relationships, through possessions, through positions, through prosperity, and they've left you empty time and time again. Maybe it's time today that you open your heart and life to the one person that can truly bring fulfillment, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, God's son. And if that's you today, I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to invite him into your life. I'm going to pray a prayer out loud in just a moment. And I'm going to invite you to, if you've never prayed this prayer in faith, to pray this. It's not a magic prayer or magic words, but if you put faith and belief behind it, you can say yes to Jesus today and you can have him fill your life in a way that nothing else can or ever will. You know who you are today. Would you pray this prayer with me if God is speaking to you in that way? And it goes like this. Jesus, I want you in my life. I need you in my life. I'm saying yes to you today. Yes, be my Lord. Be my Savior. Fill the emptiness in my life. Forgive me of my sins. I want a relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me and dying for me. Thank you. Thank you. As we continue with heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around for just a moment. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I never want to do that. But if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, that's the most important decision you could ever make. And I would love the privilege to pray for you right now that you would grow in your walk and relationship with Jesus. So without hesitation, I'm going to count to three. And once I do, if you prayed that prayer, would you just slip up your hand? No one else looking around because I want to pray for you. One, two, three. Lift them up nice and high all across the auditorium. Amen. God bless you, ma'am, over here. One, two, three, four, five people. God bless you over here. One, two, three. A couple people back here. God bless you right here. Amen. Lift them up. Keep them up. A couple together. Uh, a man and a lady right here. God bless you guys right here. Amen. God bless you guys. Amen. Several people. Let me pray for you. Father, we just lift up all those today saying yes to you. We pray that you would fill the void in their life in a way that only you can. We pray that they would grow in their walk and relationship with you from this day forward, whether they're single or they're married, that we would all make you number one in our life, that we would seek you first and your kingdom and your righteousness, knowing that then all the other things will be added unto us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate decisions for Jesus today? Amen. God bless you guys. Awesome. Well, praise God. Church, may we never grow tired of seeing people respond to Jesus because Jesus changes everything. Amen? And so if you said yes to Jesus today, um, we just, uh, man, we just want to celebrate with you. We are excited, for, uh, excited with you as well. Um, we just ask that um, you just fill out your connection card. We want to follow up with you and give you some next steps. And so uh, if you open up your newsletter and take out your connection card, there's actually a box that says, I said yes to Jesus today. Please take the time to fill that out. Um, put it in the offering bucket as it passes by today. Uh, what we'll actually do is send you one of these I said yes um, um, booklets in the mail, as well as uh, we'll be praying for you throughout the this, this next week. 
Um, if you're a first-time guest here, uh, thank you so much for taking an hour out of your week and spending it with us. Um, hopefully, you've already filled out that connection card, put it in the offering bucket as it passes by. Uh, first-time guests, we're not interested in your money today, but we are interested in getting to know you. We want to follow up with you, and so please do that. Um, put it in the offering bucket. We'll send you a thank you note in the mail as well as a free gift. A quick reminder for all of us, um, as we go transition into third service, please, in the parking lot, exit to the west. Um, a lot of third service is going to be entering from the east. And the last thing um, that anybody really likes is traffic. So please, this will ease traffic. As as you go out in the parking lot, go ahead and exit um, to the west. That would be great. Um, and man, you guys, um, I am super excited about this new series. Um, myself, my wife, we took a lot of things out of this week. Next week, um, we're going to be taking a look at the couple of Ahab and Jezebel. And we're going to be looking at one of the most commons found in marriage today. So make sure you guys come back next week. Um, at this time, let's go ahead and please, everybody, go ahead and stand as we uh, continue and we close in a song of worship. And we also worship through our tithes and offering because we want to be a church that gives first, saves second, and lives on the rest. Remember, church, God is your one. Love you guys.